Hello and welcome to another episode of But Why, the podcast that's all about digging into big questions and tricky topics for our honest conversations. This week we're going to be looking at sisters. Clover Stroud is an author and journalist writing regularly for the Sunday Times, The Guardian and The Telegraph, amongst others. Her books, The Wild Other and My Wild Sleepless Nights and Mother's Story are critically acclaimed bestsellers. She lives in Oxfordshire with her husband and five children. Her latest book, The Red of My Blood, charts Clover's fearless passage through the first years after her sister's death. A few weeks before Christmas 2019, Clover's sister Nell Gifford, founder of Gifford Circus, died of breast cancer, age 46. Just days before she had been given years to live. So this uh, sets us up for what is going to be yes another very light-hearted conversation. <laughs> and I'm not sure why I uh, inflict this, but this is the stuff that is interesting to me. So I always start with three light-hearted questions. Mm. How Well, possibly. How are you really? What star sign are you? And what are your favourite crisps? I am... It's lovely to be here, by the way. I know, in real life. This is my first real-life recording since March 2020. Yeah, it feels good, doesn't it? Mm. It feels good, definitely. I am really good. I'm really, really well. Oh, that's good. I'm, um, I'm, I suddenly feel, I don't know, it's weird. You know, Nell died just before the start of the pandemic mm. and then we went into the pandemic. So she died in December 2019, three months later in lockdown. So everybody was in this kind of vortex, <laughs> mm. this weird place. And I wrote this book, which was amazing. And I'm kind of now feel like I'm going into a new plane. There's a new landscape in mm. front of me. And I'm um, really enjoying stepping into that landscape. Like I'm sort of two over two years now after her death. And there is a change. You know, there's a kind of miraculous change. So, yeah, I'm, I'm in a good place at the moment, for sure. Isn't that weird? Because actually in grief, you kind of want the world to stop. Oh, no, totally. <laughs> and the world stopped. Totally. Like everyone's in parallel <laughs> no, with you. No, We're all no. coming out of something. Yeah, it was very, very... Because I was... In January 2020, like Nell was buried in like her, she was um her funeral was a month after she died. It was a while because it was Christmas and so on, and um so I was like deep in grief, and then suddenly everybody was deep in <laughs> grief, and I felt like well this is I this is what I was supposed to be going through. How come everyone else is mm. kind of going through it? And I almost felt a little bit like affronted at some point like do you deserve do you deserve a place in this grieving space that we're all in and some people were saying oh god lockdown is just like the hardest thing I've ever done and those were people you know I knew this girl who lived in the country and all her siblings and parents were alive and I just thought no this this isn't very hard if this is the hardest thing you've ever done then honestly lucky you you know but um yeah I mean it's just been it's be that that kind of in in some ways it was quite helpful Dealing with Nell's death whilst everything just went quiet and mm. there was nowhere else, there was nowhere to go out yeah. to. You know, there was nothing to do apart from deal with a lot of children at home. And um, that was, yeah, in many ways that was actually really helpful. And actually as you emerge a new person, everybody's a bit different. You know? yeah. You're not trying to re... Because again, in grief, there's sometimes that thing where you're trying to retrace your life and it, you feel very different. But although there are bits of life that are the same, there is fun, fundamentally everything is quite different now. Yeah, definitely. And I was really preoccupied. When lockdown first happened, I was really preoccupied by this phrase, like, when are we going to go back to normal mm. that everyone was talking about? And it, was, and it was when I was just starting to think of writing about the book and I just realised... 
going back to normal is not an option. Like there has to be a change. Mm -hmm. There has to be kind of some kind of evolution. There has to be some kind of growth. I don't want to go back to where I was. And anyway, I can't go back to where I was because my sister's dead. So my life is like completely changed. Mm -hmm. And I was, so I was, I kind of was going through 2020 with this feeling like, there isn't, you know, the old life is gone and what kind of new life can I forge? And in a way that, yeah, it has been... I quite like this feeling now of, like, we're all slightly taking off our gas masks mm. and dusting ourselves down and, like, saying, OK, you know, how are we all? Mm. What What's the next bit? And it's... I mean, it's life is kind of weird and awful at the moment, isn't it? But it is also sort of... There, you know, something. There, is excite there is an excitement of like, how can we change? I suppose. I hope so, and I hope as we go towards spring, that will feel a, yeah, a bit more. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I think the change in the weather. Me, I mean, the fact that lockdown happened when there was that amazing weather as well. I'm lucky enough to live in the countryside. Well, at that point, I felt very lucky because we could be outside. But um, you know, the feeling of that that sort of I, I guess I love the change of the seasons because it really gives you that sense of the world turning as yeah. well, doesn't it? And I think that always happens at this time of year. You're like, don't be fooled, we're not through it yet, but we're kind of you can glimpse yeah, the, the next chapter. For sure. So tell me a bit about your childhood and in particular Nell and how she sat in that. Yeah, we um Oh, by the way, and I'm Aries. Oh, are you? <laughs> are you? Yeah. And Walker's salted crisps, I think. Red salted, yeah. Okay, yeah. I did, I did want to know both of those things. I was like, can I weave the conversation back around because it's extremely vacuous? You're an Aries. Interesting. Do you think you're quite Aryan? I think I'm very, very Aryan. I'm doing, you know, as an Aryan, you're doing, you're, you're on your own mission. I'm like, I'm definitely, you know, I'm, I've... It's no surprise that my working life is spent sort of on my own, basically, sitting in a room on my own. My husband always says, you're like the worst team player. <laughs> you just don't know how to do it at all. I mean, I think I do because I've got a load of kids. So I feel like, well, look, I'm marshalling five kids, so we're a team. But I think that I've always felt like a, a lone weirdo, basically. And um, what was Nell? Nell was uh, Aquarius. Great. Yeah. I'm trying to think how you two... Yeah, so you are quite different. Yeah. Yeah. Spirited, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Both very, very um, strong character. You know, I think we were both, and that was one of the things we sort of thought about was like being seen by the other one and like staking out our territory. Mm. But she was, she was two years older than me. So we had this, we had a, when I was seven, we moved from Oxford where I was growing up and, I, and me and Elle were the youngest of five. So there's three uh, two sisters and a brother from my mum's first marriage who, who you know, we were all really close to, but they were older than mm -hmm. us. So when we were growing up, it was just me and Nell, basically. They mm -hmm. kind of left home. And when I was seven, like literally on my seventh birthday, we moved from Oxford out to the country in Wiltshire. And we had, uh, when I describe it now, when I remember it, it, I always just remember this really beautiful kind of, bucolic free time of it was the it was like the early 80s and um and and we went and lived in this quite remote village and me and I had a lot of freedom and our dad our dad was away all week he worked in tv and so there was kind of a lot of fun at the weekends and he would you know the house was it was very I hate the word bohemian, but it was quite mm. bohemian, basically. It was all quite kind of ramshackle and good fun. And my dad would come back with props and, you know, funny flags and hats and things like that that mum would decorate the house with. Mum was really quite scruffy. It wasn't at all, like, smart country life. It was kind of um, 
borrowing each other's clothes all the time and like mum used to make a shoe shop where she just had loads of old shoes that we used to <laughs> we used to she used to pretend rather than going to Clark's and buying us new shoes which she never would do we'd just like swap shoes with other people <laughs> <laughs> and it was really cool I mean it was really really wonderful it was really beautiful we had ponies and we had like you know the whole kind of country childhood life of chicks and ponies we went to the local village school and we were really really close and Nell was always a really kind of she was my older sister by two years and those two years were like fundamentally really really important mm. to her that she was my older sister yeah. and um she was always my older sister it's weird now actually because this year I'll be older than she was but um it, I was enthralled to her in a way like I really did adore her and she was a real she was like a real kind of um you know she, Pied Piper Lo mm. all the children would follow her around she would like organize camps and den we were always like pulling out loads of old pallets or sleeping bags old buckets I don't know whatever we could mm. find and making camps in the garden I think we did have quite a lot of a lot of freedom away from our parents I suppose and mum was quite like she'd had five kids she was probably a bit tired of being a parent <laughs> just sort yourselves out yeah. <laughs> so we had a really really lush childhood it was really really lush and Nell was always unusual she went she actually came to school in London when she was 16 and I remember feeling like a massive sense of betrayal that she had like gone sort of left home yeah and she'd come back from she she used to go to um, the market on High Street Ken and come back with and it was the early nineties like all white clothes and Timberlands and yeah. these big sort of pendants with crystals and and now that is just so much part of that era yeah you know? and uh, it was the rave generation so she was getting into that that was really really exciting and then Mum had this like. At that moment, 91, mum had this catastrophic accident, a riding accident, that left her um, massively brain damaged. And so our life changed. Like, Instantly. Yeah, totally, in the space of that day. But we didn't really realise. So she was she was in a coma for three or four months. And then um, she didn't... When somebody wakes up from a coma, it's not like a movie where they wake up and, oh, look around and suddenly they're awake. Mm -hmm. She woke up over a sort of few weeks and we were trying to figure out what the extent of her, how she was changed. And obviously, like, she dropped me at school that morning and we all really, really wanted her to live, wanted her to get better, felt like with mm. the right therapy and love and our commitment to her, we could help her to get better. And she never... We had her living at home for two years, which was just so weird because Nell, we were, like, I was in my A-levels. Nell was supposedly on her year off, but was just like going to loads of raves and then looking after mum. And we lived in this sort of big ramshackle house in the country with total freedom as teenagers because my dad was away during the week. But then also with like <clears throat> our mum really, really brain damaged. So it was a very strange kind of like macabre, wild time yeah in some ways it's amazing because you've got utter yeah, freedom was, like yeah. home alone style yeah, exactly. doing what you like but also you've you actually have very have to be very grown up very instantly yeah yeah it was a really I think and that experience I was 16 it was the first term of my A-levels and that experience of the weird loss of home the loss of my mother who I was really very 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 close to exceptionally close to kind of melded itself into my DNA into my bone marrow and I kind of feel that that <clears throat> experience of 
tragedy and trauma because when mum when she did like she was she couldn't talk she couldn't really walk she was doubly um incontinent she was epileptic she had loads and loads and loads mm. of problems and we tried to have her living at home for two years and then it became clear that she needed like full-time nursing care so then like the family home was sold my dad moved to London full-time and mum moved into a nursing home me and Nell were just free falling basically and it was um it was about as I mean, if she had died, I, it took oh, a long time, this. yeah, for me to understand this. It took at least ten years for me to understand it. But it, but if she had died, life would have been there would have been a more simpler <clears throat> path through grief. I was going to say there would be a hard line, wouldn't there? It would have it's been like awful. here's the before yeah. and here's the yeah. after. But yeah. you're you still she's physically still here, but yeah. you can't kind of go. Yeah. you're grieving your mother now. Yeah, it, in that very clear sense, it was like pressing pause on death or something you know it was like press or trauma it was like you hold the note down and you don't let the note go but you have to go on living your life so going to you know I went off to you know I left after school I spent two years like living in a horse-drawn wagon going raving going <laughs> and selling horses <laughs> and then I went to university and then I went off to Texas and like worked on a ranch I was always kind of going after some something. kind of danger, mm. some kind of heightened feeling. And I th I'm sure that was like, because at the age of 16, it was as though, <clears throat> I don't know, some kind of, something was switched on that was, I mean, maybe it was PTSD. I think I have PTSD probably, but I've used it. I'm not scared by that. And I don't think that's actually a bad thing. I think it's been really, really interesting and really creative force in my life. But it's definitely a very major feeling to live with all the time mm. it's like somebody said to me because I do these writing tips on my Instagram and I say people sending questions and people often say well how do I like plug into my feelings I don't know how to like access my feelings and I, it's like I don't know how to not access yeah, my feelings I live <laughs> inside my feelings at every single yeah, moment like plugged into the mains on my feelings all the time mm. and I quite like that as well I don't like as a writer as well, I'm learning creatively how to how to kind of use it, I suppose, how to turn it into art, I hope. Um, and I find it very exciting. You know, life is very vivid, vivid, vivid. Yeah, very it's full on, isn't it? <clears throat> mm. Absolutely. Full and, the pl on. and then I always wonder if I lived in a more like not full on way. I would just find ways to bring it back to being vivid. That's what you have to accept it in yourself, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's true. I remember having therapy in my 20s and, like, I'd been doing all this rodeo stuff and then I'd been... I fell in love with this guy who actually worked in, my, in Nell's circus who was, like, a sort of... was basically a criminal from Russia. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> and I used to go and see him. He'd come over to do a season and I'd just split up from my first husband. I had two really young kids and um, I'd done a season with Nell Circus and then he and I'd had this like amazing love affair with this really sexy Russian guy kind of wearing like leathers, <laughs> like all the cliches, basically, it holding a bottle of vodka. And um, and I would go off to Russia and see see him and... Um, 
I can't actually remember where I was going with that. What were we talking oh, don't, about? Don't, no, I said if you if your life was not so vivid, you'd probably find oh, yeah, ways to die, die up. Yeah, and I used to go... He lived, like, beside Chechnya in the Caucasus Mountains. <laughs> I can't believe this is real. <laughs> and I used to go over... I like, was working as a journalist. I was completely skint, had no money. I was just sort of two very young children. But I was getting these jobs to go to Russia and write about travel or write about different parts of life there. So I'd use my journalism as a way of paying to go and see him. But it was quite dangerous where I was going to. And it was always, like, on edge, the whole things. And I was in... The capital was called, it's called Vladikavkaz. And there were bombs, you know, bombs would go off and stuff. And I remember saying to this therapist that I had, I was seeing, um, can, how can I, like, cut this sort of... Drama. Dark, yeah. yeah, this thing out of me. I've got to, like, stop going after the kind of... The, the, the heightened darkness, the drama. All this. And she said, you can't. You just have to find ways of kind of incorporating it into your life and living with it it will always be there mm. and I'm really interested by that mm, like, it's fascinating mm. but the childhood you're describing it's like is the positive version of that you know you were living mm. in quite a theatrical life you know yeah so maybe it's maybe it's reframing it as that yeah yeah no I know and sometimes I th sometimes I look at life and I think oh well, that was the exciting bit where I was mm. doing all that wild stuff and now I'm having kids and I hate the phrase settling down because I'm like... No, but it that. puts some parameters on your yeah. life, doesn't it? Yeah, but having said that, I don't think... Like, no year of my life so far has been predictable or normal or <laughs> there's been... And so... And I'm really interested now by how I can use creativity and writing. And actually... And that's what I was exploring in, in this third book I've written about, like, using Nell's death coming close to death, coming close to her death, standing in the room with death while death came and, like, took her away. Mm -hmm. How does that change me? You know, the thing of not going back to normal. How how can I kind of um, embrace it? Because if you don't embrace it, it could you. destroy you. Yeah, it's the only way, isn't yeah. it? And it, what I'm interested in, I've read some various things that you've <laughs> written, but about the specifically about a sister relationship is that when you have a very close sister relationship which I do I have two sisters but one of them we're closer in age mm. and the same one of them is my half sister so our childhood wasn't explicitly together yeah. where the boundaries between who you are are, are so blurred if you've, yeah. if you've grown up together and then if the, that person then dies you, you basically couldn't get closer to the precipice could yeah. you? No absolutely and when that person dies a per a part of you doesn't die, but a part of you is gone. The person that you were as a sister, the person that I was as Nell's sister, is not... I mean, she, that kind, the version of who I was to Nell, I, mm. I am not the version of me that to anybody else. You know, I don't yes, have you a can't. like that with anybody else. And, and um, so there is a kind of like weird loss of yourself mm -hmm. at the same time. And in order to sort of... Yeah, you have to realise something else about yourself. And when I was, when she was died, so she died really, really, she'd had breast cancer since 2015, but she'd had a really good prognosis, even though it was, she had bad cancer. And sometimes I think we were just kind of not really wanting to face what the reality was. But like a few days before she died, she was told she had a few more years, definitely. And then she got sudden liver failure because of the chemotherapy. And she like died within... A day, I was told, come to the hospital now. 
It was Saturday morning. She was dead on Sunday afternoon. And in stark contrast to your mum. Yeah. Who is like yeah. the exact opposite. It, no, exactly. Mum was like profoundly brain damaged for 22 years and in, in nursing homes for 22 years. So, but in both, it was after Nell died, I felt like she must have died in an accident or something because it seemed to have happened so yeah, fast, suddenly. the kind of violence of it. But her death was also really extraordinary and I really want to kind of... Sometimes I feel like I, in writing the book, I hope to connect with people through some of the language around death as well, that it that it can be an extraordinary thing. Mm-hmm. It was very, very beautiful. But talking about that closeness of sisters, I was kind of holding on to her and embracing her. And a friend of ours called Hannah was there for the beginning of it. And she said, she said, you were holding on so close to Nell. I mean, you Nell was dying. And she said... You know, she said at one point, I thought you. Were, I thought steady on. You're going to go with her as well. You're going to go through the portal with her. You know, because that feeling of she was going. You You're feel so it. desperate to to keep the you know keep the relationship to keep the feeling of being together. It was so so powerful and so strange and so shocking and so beautiful and so humbling. I mean, like seriously, being with somebody when they die is just it is an extra it's just a blows your mind mm. experience and it and I do feel so lucky that we were you know and also I mean I've thought about this often in relation to the pandemic we were so lucky to have to, that time to in be the hospital with now we really really were um but I sort of I don't know I think about her all the time I think and I and I think about my relationship with her and who we were to one another mm-hmm. And I think about the fights that we had, because yeah. we really, really fought as well. Well, that's a, that is a, the potency of the sibling, but you know, particularly sister love is that, that you love them so fiercely, but they know your absolute weaknesses. Like, yeah. So that's a huge vulnerability. Of course, you get that in romantic relationships, but it's they've they've witnessed you becoming yourself, haven't mm. you? So that mm. the moment you pick up your weaknesses, whatever they may be, mm. they've sat beside you with them. Yeah, I mean, if you, as small children, we like learned, I've, I've been thinking about this recently, we learn how to speak together. Wow, you know? yeah. That thing of lying in beds beside each other. We slept in the same bedroom till she was a teenager. And like, I used to say to her, oh, can you tell me when you're going to shut your eyes so that I can shut my eyes at the same yeah. time? Just because I didn't want to see like the monsters in the room <laughs> when she had her eyes shut. And, um, you know, you wear the same clothes, you you yeah, bath in the same bath water. You're absolutely, yeah, you are, you are part of each other in some way. Mm. It's true. You know each other's vulnerabilities. And Nell could like... She could have stepped into this studio now and there could be a way that she would just walk into them that would just make me fucking furious. Yeah, to get your back up. The energy, it's insane, isn't it? (laughs) But And that real, I've got this friend who calls it like pushing your funky buttons. Well, she could really push my funky buttons. She really, really could. As I could to her Yes, it's a two-way thing. But then when she died so suddenly, sometimes I've looked back and thought, oh my God, you know, why did we fight and why do we have those arguments? And I felt really bad for the first bit after her death I felt so bad about that and we actually had a really big row in like the in September October a couple of months before she died where my second book had come out I was really wanting her to like to sort of take notice of validate, it validate it yeah totally and she, and her art was a big big thing that was a highly creative person she had this beautiful circus but it wasn't just a circus she was like painting writing sewing and she wanted and she was also like a massive 
really big diva, basically. And she wanted everybody's... She wanted, you know, she was an artist. She mm. wanted the kind of attention and she wanted that. And as her younger sister, I think I'd always struggle with that in some way, especially as I became Not. an adult. Yeah. yeah. And my writing, I had done like 15 years of journalism, but then with my book writing, I felt like I was kind of pushing my writing and it was becoming more artistic, it was becoming more creative. And I really, really craved her recognition. And I went to see her about two months before she died and she was just showing me all around her studio and all her artwork. And if I talked about my book, she just kind Wasn't of interested. changed the subject. And I was so fucking cross with her. Mm. And I said, I'm so angry. And I remember my heart beating, like yeah, adrenaline coursing through my body. Nobody can make me that angry. No, it's know? unreal. That sort of physiological yeah. sweating. Yeah. Like your nervous system. Yeah, is totally. And, um, and actually... I'm pleased that we had that argument now because I think the thing of saying this is who I am, mm. this is who you are, mm. and let us see each other to one another was... I actually think that she would have, although it was horrible at the time, I think she would have kind of respected it as well. Yeah, it's <clears> a really <throat> interesting question and I kind of touched on it off mic, but I often wonder whether my siblings, and in particular my sister, knows me better than anyone or whether they know a version of me. And I think sometimes as adult siblings, you're trying to get them to see who you are mm. now mm. and it's whether it's a benefit that they know all the underneath stuff or, or sometimes it's not because yeah. sometimes you might have outgrown some of those things. Yeah. Do you think you're do you think you are seen by your sisters? No, I think we I think we all of us and they won't mind me saying are very much trying to learn to not live as a we. Yeah. We and especially in my parents are divorced and it was relatively traumatic. If you live through any kind of thing together, you become you function as a body like yeah. we became a consensus of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so and often, you know, we will speak as we and then you're like, no, who am I in this? Yeah. And it's very hard to pull that apart, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. And it's painful as well, mm. the kind of um, the coming apart. Definitely. It is really, really painful. And I guess, you know, you think in your 20s and your 30s that you're kind of... And I'd had kids and got married and was working and got divorced and got married again. I was like doing lots of sort of supposed rites of passage of adult life you know yeah, but not but actually I think I'm only just becoming an adult now in a way and I and I'm, I'm going to be 47 this year and I I I feel like I'm really understanding more of myself or maybe I'm just going into the next bit of life which I'm excited about but that feeling of I wish that we'd been I wish we'd been adult and I write about this in the book I wish we'd been like middle-aged adults together as well to have got there together. yeah and yeah. not have like loads of young kids and all the drama of divorce but like just in the next bit into our like 40s 50s I'd love to be I don't know sometimes and I fantasize about like a big being out on a big plane with Nala just the feeling of okay we're like we're really motoring now we're really living we've we got know there. who we are yeah we are we know what we're doing with our mm. work you know we've made lots of mistakes through those decades and obviously that won't happen but I I also, you know, I'm really interested by whether you can go on having a relationship beyond death in a way. Yeah, that, you've said that to me in a voice note and it's mm. like, whoa, that is a profound... And, and Well, of course you do. Yeah. Uh, well, I can only guess. Uh, people that I've lost where I'm, like, talking to them in my head all the time or, like, checking in with them... Yeah, yeah. You... In the way that I go about stuff. Yeah. So that, 
they are they are in relation to you insofar as they're shaping still shaping you I think. yeah no I feel like she is sort of motivating me I feel like she would be I do feel like she would be quite you know she was into her work but I do feel with this new book I feel like she would be proud of it in some way because I have creatively gone gone to new places and she really she loved creative expression you know she really really did and it's her. about her so yeah no. It's <laughs> <laughs> no I know I was talking to this friend who um her wife like died of cancer and she was in, and her wife was a was like a pretty big diva as well and Liz was saying to me you know there's nobody better to kind of remember these two people, Nell and Rhea, like, and to take their memory out and polish it off and, and kind of talk about it. Because um, Liz is also a writer. And, and this feeling of, like, she... Nell, I, I think that she would like to know... She would like the feeling that she was being eulogised and remembered. <laughs> and, and she actually said to me on the day... Um, she said, like, a classic line. On the, on the last couple of days? No, it was actually the day that we went to hospital and she was told she had secondary cancer and she possibly, you know, didn't have, like, an awful lot of life left. And um, it was... I mean, it was, you know, you feel like the all of the sort of clichés of the, you know, the ground opening up and the the floor open you know you feel as though you've been winded and knocked over and then we went and we did some things together and then we went back to this field where her circus was and she was like looking super glamorous in massive shades <laughs> shaved head like long fur coat and she went oh she was so sweet she said like she said you know she was saying uh you know you need to look after you and then she said to me but don't worry about me <laughs> because I'm going to be dead mm. I'm going to be a dead legend <laughs> <laughs> and she had these like put these huge shades on and uh she is a dead legend yeah I mean it's a good place it's, it's like there's something in it isn't it yeah definitely definitely and so I feel um you've got to come back to that you know and some people have said to me like well why do you go on you know, do you need to move on? I'm sorry that you've got some... But but I love talking about her. I love remembering who I am as a sister to her. I love remembering her funniness. And and I know that she would love to know that we're sitting in a yeah. in a studio in, in Soho talking about her. She would bloody love yeah. that. But why should... Yeah, moving on is such a bizarre concept, isn't it? Mm. Because it's not... Yeah, you're not stagnating your life. You're just bringing her with you, mm. aren't you? Yeah, definitely. And honouring her, and um, you know, I think it's, I think it's so important that we're understanding more about feeling things, and we are becoming more articulate about our emotions and understanding our emotional lives. And that idea of like, you know, an old-fashioned idea, but which is still massively prevalent of just don't cry or keep mm. things, you know. And I think that's why people don't want to say when somebody's died, they don't have the language to deal with it. They don't know what to say. They, or they, you know, you're very aware when you've lost somebody that you really love that you feel really alone because people are like, oh, I don't want to disturb you or, mm. you know, I didn't know whether I should mention her and so on. But actually, like, being able to talk about people is so, so important. And I... I really, I talk about Nell a lot on my Instagram and loads of people who didn't know who she was before know ex a lot about mm -hmm. her now. And they say, oh, I love hearing about Nell, love, love kind of, um, 
you know, I've got lots... My dad took loads of pictures of us as kids. I've got loads and loads and loads of pictures, which is really nice. And in the book, I've, like, really, really gone into what it felt like that first year. And it's been really interesting watching people reading it because some early copies have gone out of people saying... I lost my mother six years ago. I've never really grieved her because I couldn't face it and I'm I'm feeling stuff because of the way you've written about it. And that feels like a real... I mean, I love that feeling. Like It feels a real honour to kind of walk with people into their... Into their uncomfortable bits. Yeah, definitely. And into grief and into pain and then through that as well. And I think if I can, in my writing, like help people to feel more stuff because I just think we have to feel it. We don't want to feel the pain. You know, we don't want to feel the loss we don't want to feel sadness we don't want to feel traumatized but you can't not feel it you know what we were saying before it's there it's there mm. but there must be a, a disconcerting thing for you because the person who stood beside you in your other biggest griefs mm. and most difficult thing has been her it's always the irony when someone you love dies it's like the person I want now yeah. is you yeah totally and because we'd gone through mum's accident together and the kind of extreme trauma of that and sometimes I talk you know I talk with Pete my husband who's amazing and talks to me and incredible very emotionally articulate but he and he's probably the person I'm closest to alive but he but nobody understands it like like Mel understood it and nobody kind of um I suppose felt it at the same time as me, yeah. So, and it's so bewildering. I mean, the feeling after she died of like, where have you, where are you? Just mm. like, what's happened? You know, where have you gone? Mm. You're such a big person. And that kind of feeling of trying to reach for somebody and you pounce on all the kind of every butterfly and robin that you see. Oh, that's her, that's her. And then you think, oh, fuck, it's not her. It's just a robin. And you feel angry with yourself. Mm. And and a lot of the that first year for me was like trying to work out where I, you know, what I feel about how I can, how, whether I can communicate with her. And, and at some point I just felt... I felt so angry that she was gone and so upset that she was gone. It was almost better just not to think about her and like stop looking at her photographs. It was so painful looking at her photographs. And in a way, there was a really interesting thing when I kind of stopped desperately looking for her and talking to her and like being outside in the garden talking to her and all you'd hear was this like resounding silence because mm. you sort of want a kind of big mystical voice to answer you here mm. I am or you want a star to start flashing or something like some sign and it doesn't really come and then but when I stopped looking for her stopped searching 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 it was like she sort of appeared to me in um in the way that I live mm. and your being uh, yeah and exactly what we're saying about like taking her on with me and I do I saw a couple of two lots of really old friends of hers yesterday afternoon and both of them messaged me afterwards saying, oh, so lovely seeing you because it was like Nell was coming back into the room. And we are really different and we look different. And I always say that I'm like a cut prize version of Nell because she was like tall and blonde and she wore incredibly expensive clothes. She like loved going to Bista Village and buying Gucci and Versace and I'm all like in my my, uh, high street T-shirt here. And, but, um... I know that we have some mannerisms, some turn of phrase. I know there are ways that I like move my hands and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's really, really like her. Sometimes I feel her just manifesting herself Indeed. in me. And like, she hasn't gone. She is like here, you know, she is here. And I'm wondering again, I hope this isn't out of turn, but maybe because the absence of her allows you to f- 
to become that version of you a bit more because you know you're saying with the yeah. jostling for creative yeah. to be seen creatively and that's awful because you wouldn't wish for her to have stepped out of the frame for you but maybe no it's really really interesting this and I think that it's a really hard thing to talk about and I think that it's um it's kind of confusing because in a way when somebody this is what I found anyway and other people talk about this but since she's died I've like been able to in order to sort of compensate I suppose in order to live with it in order to to kind of manage the pain of it you go deeper into life and it's almost like water spilling on the floor and it's finding loads of new places to go into or I describe it in the book as like shining a light in a cupboard and finding like you know that sort of fantasy of going into your house then finding a whole load more rooms that you haven't discovered or something like that it's a bit like that in a way and you suddenly god like there's these new spaces in my head and there's these new colors and there are new places to go to because Nala's died as a result of Mm. her dying I'm finding these places and that is very 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 hard one and you have to like feel all the stuff yes and I don't think yeah and you have to like work on feeling all of the stuff but new kind of landscapes and new rooms open up that weren't there before. And that is this sort of incredible gift of death mm, as well. If we're able to if we're able to realise it. If we're yeah. able to to kind of um to to push ourselves into it. And that and that's a lot of what th- this book is about is like go- going I use this metaphor of the forest and going into the forest and I'm like cutting my hands on brambles and I'm really really scared but you do amazingly get through because like when Nell died I thought I'm gonna die like and my life is over I can't this is like and then I thought well I'm probably not actually gonna die I'm not gonna kill myself although I would like to just not exist anymore but I'm just gonna like walk through my life and that'll be it there's no more joy there's no more laughs it's kind of over but I was 46, 44 too, you know, I'd had a lot of fun, that's okay. And then this incredible thing that you do, like, Mm. endure and you do thrive and you do, you know, with time, you do get better and you and the pain does lessen and it's, mm. it's extraordinary i find it extraordinary humans are amazing our capacity for survival totally and some of the people i know who've lived through the most awful things live life in the in the most vibrant way possible yeah yeah and i think that that's anything but average yeah and we live in fear of the bad stuff happening you know we want a happy life we want stability we want ease and of course we want all those things and it's right to want all of those things. You wouldn't want, oh, I want trauma and loss and tragedy. But trauma and loss and tragedy is going to happen because that's life. Mm. You know, It happens to everybody mm. at some point or other. And coping with all of those things does give you something. And I guess because I've been, partly because I've been dealing with it since I was 16. Yeah. So sometimes I think, well, I just say that to myself because I've had to say that to myself. But actually... Um, you know, I would never, ever have wished what happened to mum on anybody at all, on any family. But it has, it is my life, I suppose. And it has kind of taken me pretty extraordinary places. And if you can use that experience of loss and tragedy, not to get too scared by life, mm. but, to, but to to feel it more, um, then 
I mean, I feel quite fearless now. I feel like I've dealt with quite a lot and I know that whatever happens, things kind of, you know, things it, it are okay. okay. Even when everything suggests that it might not. Yeah. How old was your mum when she had her accident? So mum was like 52. Okay. She was really, I mean, seems really, really young now. Yeah, but again, it's the, it, this is a weird warping of time, isn't mm. it, that happened? Mm. And also at 16, you probably felt relatively like you knew knew about stuff. And then you look back now, you're like, you were actually a child. But, totally but a like child. 16, yeah. random, you know, 17 to like 23, there's some kind of blissful swagger or for me that I was I thought I had a, I had this unbridled confidence in myself and in everything mm. Mm. before it's kind of been beaten out of you although for you you were experiencing huge trauma at the time but it's something no, your survival it's, mechanism would have been high at that time I know and I look at my, so my son is 21 my oldest son is mm. 21 and him and his friends all come over to my house and I absolutely love it and I just love the way that they walk around with that, like, that swagger. I mean, they're Unreal. lovely, lovely yeah. boys. They're all totally, there's nothing entitled about them at all. But they've got, like, a confidence and ease. They haven't, I know some of them have got worries, but there's a kind of joy and a kind of a relaxed joy to the way that they live, which is really gorgeous to see, and it's really, really gorgeous to be. It's also quite poignant to see because, you know, life is tough and rough and it hurts yeah. a lot, and you worry about... What what lies ahead for everybody really? I mean, I look at my kids and I think, oh my god, yeah, what lies life ahead to do? <laughs> but they'll be all right, won't yeah. they? Yeah. Well, also, I think talk. I mean, I talk to them about death a lot. I talk to them about. Um, I mean, they know they know what loss is in a big way, and we go to Nell's grave a lot and talk about her, and we have conversations about what happens next. And I love hearing all of their like really funny and completely different views about what they think happens next. And like my youngest daughter just think, no, you die. And she doesn't believe in God or the afterlife. That's that. or, no, of course not. It's just, and it's, and then one of them wants to be a priest. And one of them thinks it's all kind of like magic and woo out there. It's cool. I love having that. And then they'll change. Obviously they'll change, mm. you know, and, but talking to them about it feels so, so important. I mean, my, Sometimes I take it to a bit too. My youngest son was going. He was uh, in about early January. He was asking me about his Christmas presents, right. what he was going to get for Christmas next year. And I said, Lester, Lester, I cannot talk to you about what you. We've just had Christmas. I can't talk to you about. <laughs> we like, have a break from what this. Lego you're going to buy. And, and then I went. And then anyway, I don't know. I might be dead by Christmas. Oh no! <laughs> Jimmy went. Mum, you can't say too much. That. Too far. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> But I don't think any child needs to be confronted with that regularly. It was fine, but like I, th <laughs> but I do also think that I want them, if I can do anything to help them, for the losses that they will experience mm. in their life. I think that when Mum had her accident, I wasn't very well equipped for it. It wasn't really the time where people had therapy. You know, it was like ninety one. Mm. Didn't have any therapy or anything to support or anything like that. And I think having conversations with children even really young children I mean less than only five when I said that to him but it's um it's not as long as you're not like dwelling on the macabre too much and it's a conversation about what yeah. happens afterwards and you know or, or then I think that there's something I hope there's something positive either that or I'm traumatizing all of them no I think I I couldn't agree more that this is all the package of life we need to teach them to be able to yeah. fry an egg tie their laces yeah. and know that the, some of the hard stuff is coming yeah 
But that is also the joy of siblings, isn't it? They they expose you to some tougher stuff early on. Yeah. I was thinking earlier when you're speaking, I think it was probably my brother who first broke it to me that I couldn't sing. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh. I mean, thankfully, you know, better than me going to school and figuring it out. But your, your siblings give you some really tough blows, yeah, don't they? Yeah, definitely. You're like, oh, definitely. Right. <laughs> but they can say that. To you. Your brother could say that to you because... He, because you also would have known how much he lo- you know, yeah, loved you. He, loved he was there, totally. Whereas if your friend or somebody said that, then it would be a lot, especially as a child, it would feel a lot more harsh, yeah. wouldn't it? Because, But then it's this interesting thing, isn't it? You always assume your siblings are really one of your ultimate, unconditional loves that you take for granted. Like, we mm. expect one day to lose our parents, mm. don't we? Mm. We mm. Romantic relationships, we hope that will last, but again, we yeah. know they aren't, but... Siblings really are the one that you possibly can definitely take for granted. Yeah, no, totally. And when Nell died, I just felt like I can't contemplate. Yes. Say I'll live for another, you know, say I will live till old age to be in my 80s. I can't do another four decades without you. Mm. I just can't do that. And that was that feeling early on of like, I just want to not exist. I felt like I want to go back to where I was before I was born. And like she would be there in some way or another. I just don't. I don't want to have to be in life anymore. I I want non-existence. And um. And you know, I still find it still makes me it like, you know, metaphorically and literally knocks you to your knees sometimes. The that feeling of what she's lost, what she's missing out on, because she is here in me. But then she's not here at. Yeah, you know she's not here in the room with me to go and have an argument with or go and like go out and have a drink with whatever and and um yeah the feeling of the the sort of long life ahead is without her it's continually really hard Mm. and those things that we were talking about of the like beautiful places you find the kind of jewels that you are hard won they are fucking hard one they really oh, yeah. really are it's not a good exchange no but they are there and i think learning you know this isn't what you wanted you would do anything for her to be back it isn't what you imagined but this is your life so kind of like yeah grasp it in some way or another but yeah i think definitely the loss of a sibling as well though because it's like out of the natural order isn't yes. it because although of course if you've got a few of you one of you know that you might one of them might die sooner you kind mm. of i think and again, I'm speaking as the eldest here, you, that you'd all drop off in the way that you came into the world somehow. Yeah, that's, yeah, oh, you know, yeah. I've been, that's, yeah. which of course isn't going to happen. Yeah. And we'll do that all in old age together. And then yeah. that would be acceptable, I suppose. But I suppose that's, it's interesting that, because then that's assuming that, oh, we'll be ready when death happens. We'll all be ready for it. And I think that maybe when it happens, I guess when somebody very old dies, I always think, well, that's incredible. In a way, like, just... It's a cell, you know, when someone's had a long and like it's an incredible thing. But maybe when people, maybe, maybe when I wonder whether we're ever kind of like ready for death, you know, when it comes, when when somebody we really love or close to is gone, is are you ever kind of like when mum died, for example, she'd been like, you know, living in this other state for 22 years, but I still felt completely and utterly shocked and knocked sideways, even though I kind of. You know, honestly, Clemmy, I've been wanting her Willing to die it, yeah. for a long time. And then when she died, I felt so... The actual physical loss of her... The fact she wasn't on the planet, planet anywhere. It's the anchoring of someone, isn't mm. it? 
which again is really strong in the sibling mm. thing. Mm. You can have phases when you're not in your life so much, but you kind of know where they are. And you, yeah. because you're, because you've grown up together, you are, you exist on an axis with them, don't you? Yeah, definitely. It's in relation to, to them. Yeah, you know, I know who are the best singers in my family. I know, <laughs> you know, who is the strongest. We all kind of know where we are on yeah. the pecking order. And that's... But you, uh, that's also interesting, though, because then... Because Nell was always, like, the creative... You know, there's always, like, the creative one mm -hmm. or the, the musical one or whatever. And do you think when somebody dies, then that is the thing that gives you, enables you? Because I feel like I've become more creative yeah it's really since interesting she died and is it because she is not there as the creative one and this like incredible <sighs> creative figure that everyone that you can kind of go into that place as well i hope my brothers won't mind me saying but one of my brothers is a professional musician and actually my other brother has got a beautiful voice and is a talented guitarist right and, and in any other family would be like that would that light would be shone on him, yeah. but it just isn't. Yeah. And it's exactly what you're saying. It's really interesting, isn't it? Therefore, you always feel as, oh, I'm not quite the creative one. I'm not the musical one. Yeah. Well, actually, you definitely are. Yeah. Yeah, it's really strange that you can then see each other in... I mean, Nell... I don't know. I don't know where I, where I feel about that because Nell definitely will always be the creative one because she was, like, such... A, and also because... You know, people love, pe hundreds of thousands of people went to her circus. So they were, you know, it was kind of known within to certain people and um, it had a fan base, got a fan base, definitely. And um, you sort of feel bad in a way saying, but maybe I am. But then isn't that the kind of, the, the, there's so many blessings to being a big family, but the curse of it is, is the intrinsic comparison that sits. Because mm. actually... Her creativity and yours aren't in relation to one another. No, you're like, yeah. I'm reading your books, not thinking about. I'm mean, thinking about her because she's yeah. in it. But it's like I'm appreciating you for you, and actually, you learning to be set free, just as Clover, not Nell's sister. Yeah. Is, yeah, it's, and it's it's interesting you use the word set free as well because there is a setting, <laughs> there is a weird kind of setting yeah. free, and I suppose the fact that it's happening at this moment in my life and my it does feel like a mo. I don't know. I suppose also it's come with the pandemic and what we were talking about to start with. It does. We feel like we're in a in a time of change as well and a mm. possibility for change. Um, yeah. And I've actually, you know, we we talked about this briefly when we were messaging. I've given up drinking because Nella had given up drinking Thank you. because of her treatment and everything. She basically given. She had the odd drink, but she basically given up drinking for the last couple of years of her life, and she was really, really into it and really like evangelical about it. Mm. she just really wanted to talk about it she loved it and her creativity at the end of her life I mean she she was doing all these incredible pictures with, and she was due to have an exhibition which actually happened after she died um but she kept saying to me that I should do it and then I had this thing in my mind where I wanted to give up after she died I was drinking quite a lot because it is like oh, it's nice to drink when yeah. somebody's died takes numbs, the edge off it definitely everything. but then um I wanted to stop drinking when I was still as the same age or younger than I didn't want to be older than her drinking I don't wow. know why it was just one of those things yeah. in my head and I found I mean it's only been since August so it's like seven six months seven months something like that and I found it really really extraordinary in mm. terms of what it's woken up in me unreal. and what it's enabled in me unreal 
it's just it? it's unreal what i can't understand is why people go oh you're not drinking you're being boring but we also talk about well i didn't want to stay at the party because everyone got drunk so they were being boring you know? I know for me not drinking is like going through the looking glass or something unreal. everything is like eat me drink me incredible it's sizes it's like tripping or something it's so well i always so say that amazing. i in the years when i yeah loved drinking it was because i was i was always craving that blurry feeling yeah. and now you you live life in absolute clarity totally like it's unbelievable yeah um and yeah you you know, you, you quietly wish whisper to anyone else who doesn't drink, like, we've got the keys. Yeah, yeah. I honestly feel yeah. like that. Yeah. But it's, it, with that is you have, you have to feel all your feelings. Mm. You have to, you know, again, through the pandemic, you have to sit through those. I have days when I literally come home from work and I can't kind of get myself to regulate. And, and because you have to get there as your body does it. Yeah. If, but you can't accelerate it with a drink or you can't... Yeah, I found that really interesting, which I've been feeling recently a lot as well. I've been, like, I've started a new book. Uh, I've got loads of projects on the go. I've, I'm do you know, this current book is about to come out. I almost sometimes feel like I need to calm down. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know when you're hungover, you have a day where you're sort of... Like, yeah, that blurry feeling. Anything. It's lovely. And actually you can't... When you're not drinking, you're... You're, you're, on, always you're going on. all the time. Every day is a is a full as a full on day. It's an, and it's it is incredible. I mean, I can get so much done. I can like produce so much. I can, I can be present in my life in such a way. But it's all also the time. quite tired. Like, yeah. what am I going to do to kind of weigh myself down for a bit? And to numb, to mm. like to to check out a mm. bit. It's mm. it's much harder to get to. What do you do to get there? Well, it's really interesting. So I'm I'm almost three years sober. And, Are you? Wow. 99% um, of the time, it's brilliant. But once a year, we go camping with all my Vesha Uni friends, and it's the crew that I would have... We, we got used to get blasted together. Mm. And that's the only time when I struggle, because they I watch them all have a few beers, and they get to that place really mm. quickly. And it usually takes me, like, 24 hours yeah. to get to that yeah. time. And it's just allowing myself mm. to get there. And the places I get there is through exercise mm. and through being in nature, which mm. sound like the most wanky things, but it's true. Yeah. It, my brain softens. But what I then had to do with exercise is I realised now that I was constantly going for quite hard graft, in order to get to, get, to, to that kind of yeah. white noise place, yeah. and I'm now again trying to pull back from that. But it's not easy. It's not easy to get to. Mm. It's re I think it's really. I mean, I'm absolutely fascinated now by sobriety and creativity and how they work together. And I feel as though, like, I don't know. I've been doing new writing, and I've just. I, I just feel as though. Something about being able to see everything and feel everything is is it is extreme. Yeah, it's totally the. But word I for so it. often will like read a book or watch an amazing TED talk. I'm like, oh wow, this person has seen the picture, and then one way and another, it drops drops into the dialogue that they've they don't drink. Yeah, and you're like, ah, uh. yeah. It's it's living life in clarity. It's so odd though that there's this idea that if you don't drink, you're boring, though, isn't it? Yeah, but you, I think again, this is a whole different conversation, but I. I thought I was really fun when I drank. Mm. I felt like I was really fun, mm. but it's just, it's not its not you. It's a different mm. version of you. Mm. And I always thought, oh, that's the real me. It's mm. not. Mm. If you have to medicate yourself to get there. Mm. And now when I, fit, when I am having a massive hysterical fit of laughter, that is pure, your body is doing that. Yeah. 
it's absolutely... making the chemicals are there and yeah. you, you get better at that actually yeah. like and for me I love on holiday or with friends you wake up the next day and you're remembering all those laughs and then there is no underlying or oh, hangover or mm. guilt or regret mm. because you said too much mm. or you did too much because mm. you your body's done it for real yeah and also being able to like check in you know fully with how you feel and uh, the other morning I woke up and I was feeling really worried about something. And if I'd been a bit hung over it, that, that worry would have turned into like a really racing, out of control, panic, soul-destroying horror of yeah. myself. Self-loathing. <laughs> Massive, you know. But I just lay in bed and I thought, OK, and I kind of identified what it was I was worried about and why I didn't need to be worried about it. In this. And if I'd been a bit hungover I've been catastrophizing mm. and going completely crazy with it yes so you don't go it doesn't you don't get the huge highs and you don't get the huge lows you yeah. sit much more here yeah. and there's enough there <laughs> vividly that you don't need to yeah and also food like I have a new <laughs> appreciation for food and I don't feel guilty I don't mind if I put on a bit of weight from just eating no like, I mean me and Pete went to stay in this hotel a few months ago with and <laughs> I had this massive meal and then I like we went back to our room and then I ordered some pudding and then a whole cheese plate. I just remember eating all this like delicious creamy yeah. food, just thinking This is oh, delicious. This is delicious. Have you been to a wedding without drinking it? No. So this is the joy. You go to and again I was like, Oh, this is gonna be really difficult but actually you can just absorb it. You can actually mm. log that in your mind. Mm. And then everyone else is pissed and they've all left their pudding. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> Well, here I am. I'm not going to be dancing, but I'm going to make the most of all that cheese, nice cheese board you bought out. Everyone else is not eating it. Yeah, no, that is a real like. People don't really talk about that, but like the deep joy of of like really really delicious food. Because if we'd been, if you'd been pissed, exactly, you were just like, shoving oh, it in I your mouth. Wanna, you don't you don't want to eat it, but actually properly getting into it sober is like, yeah, that's a whole a whole sort it's, of. It is. It's an. Like you see those book titles of the joy of being sober, it, it's well for me again. It's like the ultimate act of rebellion. Mm. I've come from a family where alcohol is very, very present in our lives, and you know, yeah, everything I did was around alcohol, and to 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 take a different path is ballsy. Mm. And you're doing that. The only person that benefit, well, my kids benefit, but. I benefit from that. I'm yeah. doing it for me. Yeah, and that's yeah. like really radical. I think. Yeah. No, and you have to, I mean, a couple of times I've seen friends and I said, I'm not drinking. I didn't want to make a big thing about I'm not drinking. But they'd say, oh, come on, let's drink. No, I'm not drinking. I'm fine. And then a couple of times people have got quite angry with me mm. and you have to like say, I'm still alive. I felt, you know, and I was still like staying up later than they wanted to stay up. And, um, but you have to you I don't know it's that's kind of the hardest thing to yeah. deal with actually is mm. other people's pressure to get yeah. back on it. They they people get over it though. Yeah. I think for me when when they, anyone thought there was a chink in my armor and to be honest I would have been that person oh go on go on have a glass. Yeah. But once it's like a done thing yeah. people stop. When did you decide this is what I'm definitely going to do? I just had so I had terrible anxiety in my 20s which was also when I was partying really hard mm. but didn't put the two together mm. and then I had three kids quickly three under five so there was periods of not really drinking um and then after my third Greta I was like right I'm back on it like this mm. is I'm back to my life I can drink and I found that I was the self-loathing was beginning before I even had had my first drink yeah yeah and then I went on one I met a bunch of friends we met in the middle of the day 
we're all drinking and I went home early because the self-loathing was extreme. They went all night, like 5am. Mm. I'd been in bed by nine and was still hating myself the next day. And I was like, this is not worth it. Yeah. It's not worth it. Yeah. It's not worth this on my mental health. I, yeah. I, yeah. And so I just did it as a, as a kind of investigation. Yeah. And then right. I was just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I sleep better. I exercise more. I eat better. And my mental health is not so rocky and I'm productive. Mm. Like how on earth mm. those five component things are it's massive. It's massive. Games. It's everything. Absolutely massive. Like, massive okay. Games. Right. Well, and then I, for a while, I was like, oh, if you go to the wedding, you can have a glass of champagne. And and then, I, in fact, it was my brother's wedding not that long after. And all day I was like, if you want one, have one. If you ha-. Mm. And then I was just like, oh, why would I bother? Mm. Why don't I just keep enjoying this? Yeah, yeah. This f- in, with clarity. Yeah. It's so, I think it's really interesting. And I really do, I feel, I mean, I don't know. I think I'm going to keep it. I don't know. I also don't want to say, well, I'm definitely going to, definitely. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, I definitely feel like I'm going to and... It's great right now, but I really do equate it with my relationship with Nat. I feel like I don't know. Sometimes I feel like it's because she wanted me to do it so much. Wow! And we, you know, like many many people, grew up in a house and live in a culture. Our friendship groups where drinking is absolutely everywhere yeah. at all. You know, so it is going against the grain definitely. And I some I really equate it with my relationship with her actually, and I. You know, we're talking about sisters and I do sort of feel like it links me to her mm-hmm. in some way or another. And it feels even more and, precious, I suppose. And again, this is me projecting, but it's allowed you not to hide your feelings for... You, you've got you've had to sit in the grief. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Which is an extraordinary thing to do. Mm. Yeah, and like, you know, it's sort of like... Sometimes I feel like grief is... For me now, it's putting your face up to the... It's almost like, you know, if something was burning you, you have to kind of, like, say there was a big fire, to, like, just stand there and feel it for a moment, you know. And I write at one point about I was with this friend and his sister had died and, like, he... he You can see that he's, like, put his face up to the furnace. He hasn't, like, hidden away mm. from it. And I really admire him from that. And he was one of the first people that I really, really talked to about Nell, actually, and he was really, really helped me a lot in that first year. But that feeling of... Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that kind of like the, the 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 heat. You know, you can kind of feel it reflecting on your face, and it hurts, and you want to sort of look away, but you just hold it, just feel it for a minute, and uh, it, you know, it's there and it's part of you, and it's sort of like riding it in mm. some way or another, you know, mm-hmm. and not, yeah, not retreating, not not hiding, just allowing it to be there, and also not worrying about other people's discomfort with it I suppose mm-hmm. as well you know I cry I've cried twice while we've been chatting I yeah. cry really readily and I, and I think that that's beautiful it's you know allowing people to see to know that that's that's fine it's okay to feel all of that stuff and I and I think it's um I don't know I suppose yeah I suppose sobriety grief there's a kind of funny link yeah, with them there is there, there is, is there is it's 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 literally yeah, life with not being able to avoid it in yeah. any way, mm. and if yeah, and because alcohol is so intrinsic mm. in everything, people mm. have a baby, you buy them a bottle of champagne. Someone dies, you buy them a drink. Everything. It's like it really yeah. is. It sits there through the awkwardness of being a teenager, through having your first 
the sex to like mm. every mm. going into your first working environment you you have booze mm. in it all mm. so it really is mm. like extracting all of that mm. you, you can't there is no place that you can hide behind mm. Mm. do you think if you i'm also interested by the idea that like i wonder whether if you if you've been sober all your life do you just live this life which is like technicolor all the time but do you think it's also partly we feel it because of the in relief to what we know yeah. what it was like drinking before definitely i yeah. th i think so and that just represents a certain path that i thought i was on mm -hmm. you know and it you know that that rock and roll i was definitely in the ladette culture kind of mm. define myself a lot by that yeah but yeah i don't know i mean it I I know friends again because I spend a lot of time in the gym now who who are sober all their lives mm. who who are twenty two and not mm. drinking and mm. it's like oh wow would I like to have been in that clarity mm. but it's a bit like trauma I quite like to have lived it in a bit of, it, in the yeah. muddier <laughs> waters of especially funnily when we're in Soho today which is where I spent my twenties being absolutely hammered <laughs> absolutely hammered and it was fun yeah but I'm not her anymore. Mm. Mm. That's a it's a change. Well, I love also the idea, the feeling, the knowledge that life brings big changes. It brings massive mm. changes, massive evolution. Some changes that you hate and you don't want to happen. Some <laughs> changes that happen so slowly you don't see. You know, you don't realise they're happening. Like, Whoa. And but that it is endless. You know, the endless variety of it is extraordinary, extraordinary. as well. Yeah, I think that's a very nice place to end. You, you know, you're you're always craving to go back to certain parts of your life, but they they don't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah, totally. And in fact, that's something that I'm kind of exploring now. Is like exactly that feeling, and it's it's really fascinating. And that feeling of time, kind of changing and moving, and you have to just go with it and not resist it and not you know, go forward basically. I mean, this feels like a very uh, profound, <laughs> been quite a profound chat. I always ask two questions, well, no, yeah, two quicker ones. Number one, where can people find you? And on do a quick good pr promotion about the book. Yeah, so I, I'm on, I mean, I love Instagram. And I use it absolutely loads and I love communicating with people on it. And I love, I mean, I totally use it as a way of uh, writing about stuff and sharing stuff. And I've, the kids are funny. So I, yeah, they can, people can find me on Instagram, definitely. Uh, and are you just, at Clover Stroud. At Clover Stroud. Yeah. And your new book is out when? So the new book is out on the 10th of March and uh, The Red of My Blood. And I would love people to read it. And it's not a, it's not a sad book. You know, I don't want people no, to think, not... oh, God, I don't want to read a book about somebody's the death of someone's sister. It's a book about life. It's a book about love. It's a book about death as well. It's about realising these things and the kind of coexistence of these things. And it's very vivid and it's very beautiful and it's funny in places and I'm incredibly proud of it. And if anybody did read it and then come and talk to me on Instagram about it, I would absolutely love that. There you go. I totally love it. I think, it, yeah, you're, you've got to kind of brace yourself for what's coming for you in mid-March because it's going to be a lot of stuff. A lot yeah, of... maybe. I hope so. I mean, I, I, I really hope to share it. I really hope to share it with people. That's... Um, that's one of the joy. I mean, it's part of the joy of. It's actually part of the joy of social media as well and yeah, writing. Yeah, the best and, possible yeah, part of it. And then I always ask if you could have an honest conversation with one person, who would it be, and what would you say? Well, could you choose dead people then? Yes. I'd like to have another conversation with now. Would you? <laughs> yeah. I'd Did... like to say, what's it like on the other side? <laughs> 
but she couldn't tell you. There'd never be nothing to know, like nothing to, yeah. Um, am I allowed to, are you allowed to talk to somebody who's dead? And, mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm so fascinated by what happens. And I sometimes think that it's like that you die and then you think, oh, so that's what it's like. Yeah, why of course. You, why were you all worrying? Yeah. Well, same as everything, isn't it? It won't be what we think it is. Yeah. And I, I love the thought of that, of the, and I, and I sometimes have an idea of it being a sort of white ecstatic life, a uh, light sort of like. But I feel sure, yeah. So I'd talk. I'd, I definitely, definitely want to talk to Nell and just tell her that I love her. Did you do that a lot? Because that's the other thing that from this conversation, mm. I I tell a lot of people that I love them all the time. I'm not sure I tell my siblings as much as I. No, I mean it's I think like we so did. It's so bloody obvious I love you, but yeah. We did, but then also, I wish I'd told her more, you know? Mm. I wish I'd told her more. I wish, but, but we did, and she knew, and I knew. Yeah, you don't need to say it. But I think now, I mean, I tell, I talk to my dad and stepmother every day, practically, and I just <laughs> say to them, I love you. So if you say to somebody, you know, at the end of a conversation, it's easy to go, I love you. It almost comes like, bye. If you actually say, I love you. <laughs> and how do they deal with that? Because I don't think the older generation are... Well, they're so used to me saying it yeah. now. And there are certain friends I'll say, I love you too. I mean, and I tell my children in a really annoying way. Yeah. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> but, yeah, it, again, it wasn't in maybe generational and maybe the worlds we grew up in quite similar worlds. It, mm. like, it wasn't really something that was sprinkled around that much, even though it was a given. We yeah. lived in a loving environment. Mum did actually really, did really, really love us. And I think that that, that that love that she gave us was so kind of titanium strong Aww. but that's enabled enabled us to kind of do things and and I always think about that in my relationship with my kids just like love them and be present to them as much as you possibly can even when they're driving you insane to the, to the absolute <laughs> brink of yourself mm. well there you go to now to ask what it's like but do you well it depends whether you what you believe the next mm. chapter is but I could quite like the idea that she's doing this thing and you're doing this thing and then one day you'll be yeah. like, oh, yeah, this is what we were up to. Yeah. Me. Yeah, I love the idea that there's, like, there's this poem that I really love, which I'll find I'll send to you later, but there's um about somebody dreaming about his girlfriend who's died and then she appears and then she says, oh, I'm very busy. And that makes me feel really emotional, but I love the thought that Nell is in this next place, but she's got a hell of a lot going on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she's, got, she's on another mission, yeah. basically. She was on such a mission in life, and I love the thought that there's another big place of stuff yeah creativity to go into maybe yeah I like that I like that idea too let's leave it at that thank you oh, it's been so nice it's been such quite, a good conversation quite profound <laughs> oh well uh, I'm a bit at a loss I found that very very mind expanding but also it has left me really really thinking long and hard about my relationship with my siblings who I don't know if all or any of them will listen to this but it really is a gift to have brothers and sisters and to have grown up together and to have taken those relationships into adulthood and as Clover mentioned my siblings have the ability to touch nerves of me that no one else can touch and I guess that too is a blessing even though it doesn't feel like it at the time. I'm also going to look at my children and their relationships with a bit more magic in my eyes for all those reasons. Um, I also have got my head spinning about um, thinking about sobriety, which I think I might have to do a whole other episode, maybe with Clover about, because it is something 
really that is a gift there are previous episodes of the podcast about sobriety one with Bryony Gordon and one with um, Millie Gooch that I recommend checking out if that's something you're interested in Um, and in the meantime thank you very much for listening to But Why I'm so grateful to have you here if you would like to join me next week that would be wonderful and in the meantime please rate review subscribe tell your mates about it share the episode you're listening to on the on the instagram on instagram because that makes a huge difference i am now off to have my hair cut i was thinking about having a huge chop and having lots of carpet but as is always the way it actually looked quite good this morning so now i'm probably going to go for a little bit more of a middle ground a little bit of highlights Um, which I'm looking forward to. So wishing you a lovely day and see you next time. Thank you very much.